We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion with the topic of mortals and immortals. We're very glad we, you could join us this beautiful spring day. We welcome you all. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, in the United States of America. And we will start with our morning prayer. I'm reading from page 120 of Watch's Prayers and Arguments by Mary Baker Eddy and 507 of Science and Health. Inasmuch as I am God's child, spiritual and not material, I must be perfect. I am whole. I am free. I have all I need every hour. I am without fear, without anxiety. I live in spirit, not in matter. I am not in danger. No one can harm me or deprive me of any good. I know no such thing as pain, suffering, or disease, for I am a reflection of life, truth, and love. I am never disappointed or grieved. The harmony of my being is never broken because I live in the infinite. No condition of the body or the presence of anyone's personality is essential to my happiness. For God good only is the spring of all my joy. My life is hid with Christ in God. Therefore, I am immortal, for nothing can be lost or die in God. Spirit, duly feeds and clothes every object as it appears in the line of spiritual creation, thus tenderly expressing the fatherhood and motherhood of God. Mary Baker Eddy. Very beautiful, thank you. All right, the watching point. Watch number 158. Watch left in endeavoring to realize that you are a channel for good to all mankind. You neglect to, to establish the fact that all men are channels for good to you. Jesus said, that those that did the will of his father were his mother, sister, and brother, implying that his demonstration of God's presence and power included the realization that others could minister to him spiritually, since that is the spiritual significance of mother. We had two beautiful treatments for Mother's Day, didn't we? <laughs> That's beautiful, too. Thank you. Okay, any comments on this? Well, I was, I thought just yesterday how um, beautifully the story, I know we'll probably maybe get into it uh, later, but how the story of Elisha and the widow woman, I mean, Elijah and the widow woman and Elisha, I, I suddenly saw this all coming out in this story, how Elijah was a channel for good to the widow and Elisha. And yet Elisha and the widow were also channels for good 
to Elijah. And I just never saw that before. That was Yeah, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Yeah, I was thinking about this about how, you know, when we come into Christian science and we start learning to do what God has us to do every day, we got to be careful to not think that we're suddenly like dropped in the midst of enemies or anything. (laughs) God's good comes from every direction. So, and nobody is, nobody is not doing some part of God's will at some point every day, you know, so it's a good thing to remember. Yeah. We see God's expressions all around us. I I have said this when I first came here. I had a very, very close personal sense of my family. Um, You know, my mother had a large Southern family and we were all close to them. And uh, but it was very clannish and very exclusive and very wrong. I mean, it didn't it. Nobody meant to be. I mean, it, we thought it was good. You know, you have a nice family. You love your family. We thought that was all good. But it really, now looking back on it, I can see that it's, I mean, it's good to have a good family if you do, but to, to it's not the, what what is Mrs. Eddy? It should be the center, but not the circumference. And then, and then most of, most of, a lot of my family passed on early on and and I had to learn all these lessons and I had to learn that yeah that everyone is my brother and sister in Christ and to love everyone not just your own family and then I saw how limiting and how well in in this case I'm speaking for myself it was it was not good because it was a false dependency on family and people rather than on God um just as that watching point brings up that uh God's presence and power included the realization that others can minister. And now I feel like the whole world is my family rather than just a few. So I'm sure you're happier for that. (laughs) Much happier, freer. And also my relationship with God, I, I never had one because it was all about family. And, and there's so much disappointment in the dependence on on the human sense of family. Almost every family I know, including my own, there's trouble <laughs> among the people. You know, right? It's like a greater sense. I I think really in science we're seeking spirit, and to seek the spiritual sense of everything will be much healthier. Um, to see God as the father, mother of every child, for example, to me, it's really, it's a much safer way of seeing seeing than the other way. Much, 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 yes. And that is what we all, all must do as we go about our day to see everyone as children of God. And you will bring that out in them and you will find yourself so much happier. Um, Last week we talked about staying out of the out of the Adam dream, and this lesson about mortals and immortals is somewhat similar. Um, and we'll talk about staying in the Father's house, which keeps you out of that Adam dream and keeps you 
aligned to your immortality. Um, they're not two of you. Remember this. We The lessons call mortals and immortals, but they're not two. You don't have this mortal thing you're trying to get rid of. There's only the one, the immortal. And as you stay in that, in the Father's house, which means in in his consciousness, thinking his thoughts, the mortal sense of things just fade away. They'll fade away. Um, also, just one thing included in that motherhood is the Una Willard article, which I often refer to, your background, which is I, I work with that a lot. And it starts, does the argument come to you that you didn't come from a good family or you have the same or have the same opportunities as someone else? Stand on the fact that you came forth from God, that your background is God himself. You stand on that. And I can't tell you how healing that is. You are the daughter or the son of the king. All inheritance comes from him alone. To just think about that, to dwell on that, is is that's staying in the Father's house. If you want to be immortal and have all these mortal things going on, then you're not in the Father's house. But to, to know this, and then it's in the in the lesson two in Science and Health three. In science, man is the offspring of spirit. The beautiful, good, and pure constitute his ancestry. Beautiful, good, and pure. That is your ancestry. In the first edition, it says the beautiful, good, and pure are your ancestry. So think on that. As I've said, I'll, I'll take that any day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> better. <laughs> better. Whether, you're, whether you had a horrible home life or so-called family or whether it was you thought it was wonderful. This is the best. This is far better than anything could possibly be. So don't go back to the to the era thinking you were born into matter and resenting your mother or whatever else you think you need to do. Or or idolizing. Or idolizing somebody. Either way. God alone. Hallowed be thy name. Only him. Only him. Um, I like that. I like that. I was just going to say, too, because when you aren't holding yourself that way and you're not holding others that way, you can slip into tending the regulator of others. And that's the big um, trap, you know, of motherhood or fatherhood, that you're responsible for your family. And that's so obnoxious. Just the sooner you can drop that and see that, you know, God is tending to their affairs. Yes, you might have something you want to see good for them, but, you know, not my will, thy will, Father, and know that he'll open that plan up in their life. But I've seen so many families just fret over what other people are doing in their families. Yeah. Yep. Takes a, a big toll. And as Christian scientists, we leave them to God. Um, you do all you can, um, you know, it's right. Even it's so sweet. You see it in the chosen where he, he was 
looking after his ima, right? Mm -hmm. The Bible too. Sure, you you love them and care for them, but always behind that is, yes, they belong to God, not to you personally. That's deadly. Thank you, Tony. In the way of his work too. No, well, and that's the main thing. Once it gets in the way of your work, then it's a problem. Some people, that's what all they live for, you know, they just live for their family and then it's not good. No, we've got bigger work to do and more inclusive where everyone's included in this work. Mm -hmm. Everybody, all, everyone, we pray for everyone, not just our own personal circle. So, Jeremy, would you read the golden text? First Timothy, now unto the king eternal immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Um, Carrie had sent me some beautiful articles, which I'll be referring to today. Um, But the one about the golden text, uh, Spurgeon, Spurgeon says how wonderful it is that this, just what we were talking about, we're praising God it's the king eternal. And he said, forever isn't enough. You have to say forever and ever. <laughs> Such enthusiasm delights to use. It indicates a sort of double eternity. Um, and, and that's how you feel when you're praising God, right? You should just feel like, wow, it's just so wonderful. Not just forever, but forever and ever. And then this very, very important article called Give Us a King by Ella W. Hogue, which was, as we know, one of the really great early workers which I'm going to quote from now because we've, we talk about this a lot, but the, she says it so well in this article. When the children of Israel begged of Samuel that he would give them a king to reign over them, they gave as their reason for such a desire that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Samuel warned them that if they insisted upon this, they would eventually find themselves servants of this king and that all they owned would become his property. That's what happens, you know. (laughs) Ever since, there has been a belief in a selfhood separated from God. There has been a frequent cry for a king with a belief in the necessity for material thought planning Mortals have had the desire to find someone to work out their problems, to fight their battles for them. Feeling their own incompetency and loath to take upon themselves any effort which would involve activity, there has been a reaching out for someone upon whom all responsibility might be placed and who might provide a ready way out of all difficulties. This seeking for a human king has seemed to produce two sorts of thinkers. Those who wanted others to think for them and those who have believed they could do the thinking for all men. (laughs) And there are those who will gladly rise up and tell you what to do, that you must must take this vaccination, that you must drive an electric car, that you must do this and you must do that. Well, you get the picture. Okay. Into the midst of this confusion, Christian science has come as the great deliverer with its perfect understanding of what king and kingship mean. 
It brings the peace and calm of divine intelligence and calls upon men to awaken to the truth, which will straighten out all tangles, quiet all turmoil, redeem all mistakes. With the recognition of the royal kingship of our Most High God, we discern that each man as the son of God reflects his kingliness. You're the daughter of the king. You're the son of the king. In his own individual consciousness, it reigns supreme. He reflects the power of a perfect government. He brings every thought into subjection to it. He stands guard over his own thinking, refusing to be less than the expression of perfect mind. He proves daily, hourly, that he has complete God-given dominion over every inclination, every tendency. He finds that he can go forth to express the glory of God. Now, once again, when the pilgrims came over from England, they did not like a king telling them what to do, did they? No. <laughs> no, they did not like that. They didn't like being taxed. All of these things they wanted, they didn't like having to go to, go to a church that they didn't yes. want to go to. Yes, the Church of England. Now, this is no offense to any of our wonderful English friends. Things have changed, I know. But anyway, they wanted to get the heck out of Dodge. And they did to form a more perfect union. union. So. Primitive Christianity. Yes, yes. And Mrs. Eddy has that in her manual to have primitive Christianity, Christ's Christianity, how Jesus taught it. And our forefathers, that's why they wrote the Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, with all of this in line. So we could have individual freedom. And it has been sorely taken advantage of, misused, the laziness of human mind that wants a king and those people that want to rule others. And this is the battle that America is in right now. And I'm just making this clear. I think most of you all know this, so maybe it's not necessary, but... Even so, I will reiterate it because uh, and what was given in our watch Thursday night, which Carol so beautifully written, quoting um, Big Dell Young. What is the purpose of America? Christian science. Christian science. <laughs> now, of course, people won't. Not everyone will agree with you on that, so we don't talk about it to the general public. <laughs> but, but we know it to be true. Well, and this, those who don't know what Christian science really is won't accept that. But anybody who knows what Christian science really is will recognize that that is, in fact, the purpose of America. And that upholds our independence and our, our individuality Correct. freedom. Correct. And it requires them not wanting to pass off the kingship and, you know, the profit to somebody else. But, <laughs> you know, they have to be accountable that yes. Mm -hmm. so. Yes. And that is why always the less government, the better. It's human government. Yeah. Human government. And and this is also why our forefathers said that America would not be able to continue without Christian values. And here we stand. So help us God in this. And we can be Christian, Christ, Christianity. We can be grateful because one with God is what? A majority. A majority. Go ahead, Florence. Did you want to say something? 
Well, I was just stressing the word Christian. That's all. Right, right. Yeah. Christian. Right. Absolutely. And Christ, Christ Christianity, which goes back to the Sermon on the Mount and the Ten Commandments, because a lot of it has gotten very misused. And we know in the organization, they wanted a king, right? They wanted the BOD to rule them. So now the BOD tells everybody what to do, what to read, all of this. Well, And how's that working out for them? Yeah, how's that? <laughs> okay. So, so anyway, I love that. Thank you, Carrie, uh, for, for that Golden Text this week. And, and along with this is we, as we do this, as we have self-government through God, we are staying in the Father's house and being an immortal. You will find a great peace there. You will also find you're not confused by politics. You know exactly who's who and what's what. And you can't be fooled, no matter how much artificial intelligence is trying to trick you. And it is. And it is. And it but it is. can. Artificial intelligence is not is intelligence. It's just, just programmed by mortal mind. So that means all I can do is be dumber, quicker. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's a that's a good that's a good watch for right. it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, because we know the only one intelligence is God. And that's why we start our mornings with God is mind, God is my mind, God is the only pure and perfect mind. Again, keeping us in the Father's house. And then God is life. God is my life. God is the only pure and perfect life. And going forth during the day, knowing this, our intelligence is from God and our body's not dependent on all this physical stuff. It's dependent only on God. And, you know, the more you do this, the more you will experience this feeling of oneness with the Father. And that is truly, that's the unspeakable that gift. And that is heaven on it earth. Is. Yeah. Because it gives us everything we need. It gives us dominion over all the garbage that mortal mind would try to throw at us. Which is only illusion once you prove it to be an illusion. So there we are. There we are. And then and then in responsive reading, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations, okay? <sighs> At one point, all this intrigued me. I said, goodness, the psalmist David, he's always speaking about, you know, our dwelling place, being in the house of the Lord. Um, and it got to have a much deeper, deeper meaning to me. So, and that this is why Mrs. Eddy would have us thoroughly study the Bible and also her works. And I will say, too, um, the Carpenter books, because they tell you how it was to live in her home, as I've said. So you can emulate that as best you can, as best you can at staying in the Father's house. Um, and I'm I'm grateful. I'm I am so grateful for the Carpenter books in doing that. It's very important to know. She says we have to have perfect models, right, in thought. So those are our two wonderful models. And um, something so beautiful that Linda shared with me this recently. You want to speak on that? 
I'm not sure if I'll be able to say the name of the artist, but there's a depiction of Jesus that Julia Bartlett gave to Mrs. Eddy during a time where Mrs. Eddy was under a, a lot of attack. And it's uh, they have a picture of it in the Long Year newsletter. Uh, and you can get a copy. It's very beautiful. It's supposed to have come from a engraving that was done on a emerald, I believe. And it, it was uh, the head of Christ is what it's called. By Mary Batchelder. Thank you. And then it was uh, supposed to be commissioned by Caesar. I don't see the name right now. Um, but anyways, uh, Julia Bartlett said that uh, she was going to give it to Mrs. Eddy for Christmas, but it was late coming, and Mrs. Eddy uh, knew it was coming and asked Julia where the picture was that she was going to give her. And, and she knew it before Julia gave it to her, but it was late coming a few months later. But it came right on a day. I, uh, Mrs. Eddy had gone to uh, Tremont Temple to talk for 10 minutes to, uh, in, to address some attacks that had been made toward her and Christian science. And it was very hostile. And so on their way home, Miss Bartlett said, she recalled, quote, we rode quietly home. When we reached home, she went to her room where she remained alone. No one but herself could know the burdens of that hour. And that's the end of quote of what Miss Bartlett said. Then the long year says, Miss Bartlett felt that this was the moment when the painting might help raise her teacher's spirits. And she offered her the gift. She recalled Quote, Mrs. Eddy was deeply moved and expressed her love and gratitude and joy. I could not say all that this picture brought to her thought of the real Christ Jesus as one who had suffered and triumphed over all claims of evil. End quote. I actually originally read about this in the second book of um, the Greckle, Doris Greckle. Yeah, yes. And so I looked up and, and you can get this picture. It's actually quite beautiful. Yeah, maybe I don't know if we can put it on our website or not, but you can see it. But I guess the point was how how deeply moved by yeah. Mrs. Eddy, how she felt such a strong connection with the Christ, Christ Jesus. Um, and and that picture meant so much to her at that time. Um, because it says Mrs. Eddy knew what Jesus had suffered for she spent 40 years on the cross those long years included triumphs as well as tragedy. But Monday, March 16th, 1885, was a day of crucifixion. And that's when she was, uh, I guess this was going on in her life. And it said it was for her, as she had written of Jesus, the burden of that hour was terrible beyond human conception. The distrust of mortal minds disbelieving the purpose of his mission was a million times sharper than the thorns which pierced the flesh. The world did not understand. Um, that's the end of her quote. But Julia Bartlett did. And then getting this picture. And and it also brought out in the Doris Greckle um, biography that uh, Mrs. Eddy knew that there was a picture. She she read it in Julia Bartlett's thought. She kept asking, where's the picture? <laughs> um but it had it wasn't ready yet. But she knew she knew it was there. <laughs> had to finally admit that there was a picture. Was, First she said, "What picture?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I thought there was a picture, and she finally admitted. Yes. Yeah, she she picked it up in her thinking, and it was 
It was copied from the portrait carved on an emerald by the order of Tiberius Caesar. So it's supposed to be, you know, fairly good likeness of him. Um, but the fact to me that it, she was so moved by it and, and her affinity with Jesus Christ. Um, and it brings me also to what I love to quote. It's one of my favorites all time in the Bliss Knapp book where, hmm, hang on, where she was um, going to pick, she picked out Pleasant View and it said that she, she wrote to Mr. Knapp about it and that she longed for a home by the seaside, but instead God had prepared it on a hillside. And she wrote, my house stands here upon a very sightly hill and the sides remind me of the Galilean slopes where my brother walked and wept and prayed. So I am very grateful to hear from a lot of you how you are reading biographies of Mrs. Eddy where you never had before. As was suggested, it was in the Herbert Rickey Association Address to read at least one a year. Um, they're also beautiful. I, I'm so grateful people have been telling me these beautiful stories about Jesus Christ, written not recently, but in the 1800s. One of them that Mrs. Eddy read, The Journeys of Jesus. I think it was by a, his last name was Crabtree or something. Um, Carrie gave me a copy. Linda, they both gave me copies at the same time. And they again, they read my thought because they didn't know I was looking for that. Uh, and that was one that Mrs. Eddy had suggested that they read. Um, there's the life and times of the Messiah. There are these beautiful things, uh, as well as we talk about loving the chosen, that brings these lives into our own experience so we can emulate them more, love them more. And it helps become immortal because they were, weren't they? They were, they demonstrated the Christ truth. So, and I can just hear, I don't have time. I read maybe a paragraph a day or at night, sometimes before I go to bed. I'm, it takes me sometimes over a year or more to read one book. So don't say you don't have time. You always do in life what you have, what you really want yeah. to do. So um, you make it a priority. It will help change your life. It'll give you a great peace. At the same hours in the day we have. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So, um, Nancy, would you give us the definition of mortal and immortals? Do you have? Yes. Um, mortal. Subject to death. Destined to die. Immortal. Exempt from death. Having life or being that shall never end imperishable that's from webster's 1828 so let's see which one do you want <laughs> <laughs> right immortal immortal yes and again there's only the one and we we do we there we have no beginning no ending when it's our time to go we walk out as there are many examples of as we will talk about shortly with the story of Elijah and Elisha. I, I like in the Bible, this is an aside, that in the Bible it says, 
God says, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Thank you. I, I love that because it just broke the connection for me. And I said, you know, I've always been his idea. All of us. Thank you. That's beautiful. Um, yes. And we should have that closeness. He is our mother, father. He's all things to us. Everything. All things to us. And since God is immortal, eternal, and is all, when you think about it, it's impossible for him to create anything mortal. It's impossible for his image and likeness to be anything other than immortal. So as mortal as you might think you are, it's an illusion because it's impossible. So think about that. <laughs> yeah, and that questions and answers where someone asked Mrs. Eddie, well, what, what's with all this mortality? Something to that effect. And she said, well, who says you are? <laughs> so God's thoughts are what we listen to. I will hear no other voices. I will heed no other call, as the, as the hymn says. That helps us keep us in, in our state in the Father's house as an immortal, as an immortal. And he has everything. Think about it. What if you were in this tremendous palace, if you will, or however you want to think of it, or, or whatever it is, it's beautiful. But it has everything you need, all everything, all good right there. Why would you ever want to leave it? Stay there, stay in it. Now, another beautiful article by, from Carey. It's called Divine Inheritance by a George Chance. And he takes up in the lesson about um, if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And this was something I never thought about, being a joint heir with Christ. What does it mean to be, to be a joint heir? A joint heir is one who shares with another an inheritance or possession. So being joint heirs with Christ... We have the privilege of sharing equally with him that spiritual understanding which makes us here and now possessors of the kingdom of heaven. A spiritual estate which is unbounded, rich in substance and glory beyond anything mortals can conceive. Like, wow, right? He is He's your brother and your joint heirs with him of the father. I mean, just put that in your pipe and smoke on it. <laughs> I mean, when all these wonderful things we have to think about. So please don't think about all the negative stuff. Think about all this wonderful. Or, or don't, don't think about them as real or as capable of harming you. Think of them only long enough to recognize <laughs> that they are illusions trying to trick you. Yeah, and um, it might seem very hard and challenging at first, but the more you do it, the better you get at it. <laughs> and the easier, it, it does become easier after a while. Um, 
This article goes on. How great would be our happiness and how deep our satisfaction if through the love and generosity of a friend, we were made recipients of a large and prosperous business. Our gratitude would indeed be great and our days and nights would be spent in thinking of how to manage our new possessions successfully. And yet, just at hand, within the grasp of every sincere and earnest thinker is the spiritual kingdom embracing all that the heart desires, goodness, purity, strength of purpose, intelligence, happiness, abundance of supply. So what is it you think you don't have? Think on this. Mankind seeks the material rather than the divine because it does not know the truth about divine inheritance. And yet, the kingdom of spirit is ever-present, greater than any material heritage we could possibly imagine. The kingdom of heaven is ours, and it is perpetually ruled by a loving God. You can prove those words to be true. Mrs. Eddy talks about the scale. How much time do you spend thinking on these things than you do on the other? How much you don't have and how miserable you are and where, yeah, 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 yeah. So hold your thought to the enduring, the good, and the true, and you will bring these into your experience proportionably to the occupancy of their th- of your thought. All right, any comments on any of this? Well, I really found that article that was put on the website the declaring what was tr- what is true to be really helpful in that regard. Because too often we do argue, you know, where they say, you know, argue for your uh, limitations and they are, they are yours. You know, so we spend too much time arguing for things we don't want, you know, to be true about ourselves. And it says, you know, well, what is your savior? You must declare what is true about yourself if you want to be saved in Christian science. If a suggestion comes that says you cannot do it, declare you can do it. So that was really helpful to me along those lines this week because it's, it does sometimes feel very overwhelming. And I find myself starting to declare for the things that aren't true about myself instead of saying, no, I can, I can know God. I do know God. Thank you. That's so important because that's one of the things that it says, you know, oh, I'm trying, but I just can't get it. I mean, did God tell you you can't get it? Mm-hmm. Did God tell you you don't know God? Did God tell you all those things? You're just blocking him all out with all that negativity. It took me a long time to get wise to that. But yeah, you, you, I'm declaring the truth. And then you say, well, I just don't get it. So you just wiped out all the truth you declared. Of course, you declare you do get it. You get it now, and you have the understanding and the intelligence of God himself, of mind, because you are his expression. You are one with him. And that is the science. And if we apply the science, rather than kind of fiddle around with it, if we really apply it, it works. If you fiddle around with it, you're you're kind of... You know, you got one foot in each camp and you're straddling the fence and it's not going to be comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll be spewed out. But, the, but this is a science. It does work. So keep trying. It will eventually work. Yeah, but don't try, do it. <laughs> do it. <laughs> Working at it. 
keep working working at it. Yeah, you will get it. You will. You can't help but. I mean, this is your inheritance. Remember, you're a joint heir with Christ. Think of what he did. So you think you can't do it? You have all that that he has. It's just wonderful to think about and, and to be grateful for. And this is true for every man, everywhere, every nation, everybody, no one excluded. This is the truth for everyone. Everyone, doesn't matter where you are or where you're, you know, whether you're living in a hovel or where you're in a war zone, whatever, 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 this truth is true and you can prove it. And we know of so many stories of people being lifted out of the worst conditions, knowing even just one truth. Okay, now we have this beautiful story of Elijah and Elisha. So Karen, would you like to speak? Karen sent me something beautiful from Matthew Henry this week. Hello? Are you on mute? Sorry, yes. Here I am. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, um, well, he starts out by saying, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias. And some, it is likely, would have bidden him welcome to their houses. Yet he is sent to honor and bless with his presence a city of Sidon, a Gentile city, and so becomes the first prophet of the Gentiles. The person appointed to entertain Elijah is not one of the rich or great men of Sidon, but a poor widow woman in want and desolate is made both able and willing to sustain him. It is God's way, and it is his glory to make use of and to put honor upon the weak and foolish things of the world. She took, O woman, great was thy faith, who has not found the like? No, not in Israel. She took the prophet's word that she should not lose by it. Those who can venture upon the promise of God will make no difficulty to expose and empty themselves in his service by giving him his part first. Surely the increase of this widow's faith so as to enable her thus readily to deny herself and to depend upon the divine promise was as great a miracle in the kingdom of grace as the increase of her meal and oil in the kingdom of providence. Happy are all who can thus against hope believe and obey in hope. One poor, me- one poor meal's meat this poor widow gave the prophet. In recompense of it, she and her son did eat above two years in a time of famine. To have food from God's special favor and in such a good company as Elijah made it more than doubly sweet. It is promised to those who trust in God that they shall not be ashamed in evil time. In days of famine, they shall be satisfied. Isn't that beautiful? You know, they they stayed in their mother's house, didn't they? Yes. 
Yeah, and and to serve, you know, she said to serve his part first. She yes. she knew you know, to, to give him first, even though it meant, might mean there was never that was it. There was no more food. She knew the importance of feeding, of giving to him first. And I just like what was revealed in her thought. It just these stories just are. We've read them so many times, and yet the lessons here. Each time I read them, almost there's a new lesson. It's uh, it's really wonderful. It's so true. I mean, they just keep unfolding and unfolding. Chardell. Well, God chose her. There she was, ready to die. And he asked her for water first, and then for a little cake. And she was she was getting she would left to go get it for him. So that's why she was chosen. Yes. She had nothing to lose. Just it's beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's why it's so true. We have to go down in our own estimation before we can be, ris- be lifted up in God's eyes. And yeah. I guess that's why, you know, so many people don't really adopt Christian science until they are desperate, if you will. And, and having tried human remedies that have failed you know, have not have nowhere else to go. So God is the last resort though. Yeah. And how much better we would all be off if it were our first resort. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Something else that jumped out to me about about that story just about Elijah was the confidence in his faith to go speak to Ahab. Um, you know, this is the same king married to Jezebel who were persecuting all the other you know, prophets and such. And it wasn't until after he delivered the message that there'd be no rain or dew until my voice comes again, that he is then told where to go. So it wasn't like, here's what I want you to do. And I've got this nice place all set up for you to go run to. He didn't have that. He was told to go speak. And then after he spoke, then he was given the next step. And that just struck me as we trust God step by step. We may not have all the information at first. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's why Mrs. Eddie said. Obedience precedes understanding. You've got to be willing to obey, as you just said. Take those steps. Then you will understand why. And then you will take another step. But obedience is paramount. Um, It's interesting. In the lesson, I've commanded the ravens to feed thee. I've commanded the widow woman there to sustain you. God was watching out for him all the time. Because as I said, Elijah stayed in the father's house. There's all... there's. If you think you don't have supply, when you're in the Father's house, you will have everything you need. There's no doubt about it. No question about it. And sometimes in abundance, but certainly everything you need. Um, One of the articles on this that Carrie sent was interesting. It was one by McCracken where he said, 
you know, um, Elijah, he'd overcome so much. I mean, a whole list of things. But then, yeah, when he came up upon Jezebel, all of a sudden, he, oh my gosh, he wanted to take his life and all this kind of thing. She was, she was one asmeric woman. Wow, was she ever. And anyway, McCracken, Mr. McCracken says, no valid excuse for discouragement exists in God's universe. Discouragement could only arise from a mistaken sense of the reality of evil. So think about it right now. When I'm talking to you right now, you're discouraged. What what have you given reality to other than God? That's the only mm -hmm. reason to be discouraged. So as my dad would say, quit your belly aching and get to work. You're discouraged because you believe that evil is real and you've been trying so hard. Well, sometimes it takes years of trying. <laughs> no, I shouldn't <laughs> know that word. Years of working at it. <laughs> okay. Just, just get back to it. And then it goes on. The admission that evil has power, law, being, for, being force, or execution must necessarily discourage the pilgrim on the road from sense to soul, whereas the spiritual perception of evil's essential unreality encourages the wayfarer to persevere and to, re to rejoice. <clears throat> so... So much, so much did Elijah do. So much did he demonstrate. It was amazing. And again, he had such a close relationship with his father. He knew who the father was. In another article, God Sears, briefly the story is this. <clears throat> the aged prophet, after many experiences of strenuous work, of faithful conflict against the beliefs in false powers, false laws, false gods, had attained, attained a time of comparative peace, had seen the false prophets and kings overcome. Famine turned into plenty, and schools for sons of the prophets established in many times, in towns, excuse me, realizing more and more his nearness to the father, seeing that the younger students would be stirred and uplifted to greater individual activity. When left to rely on God alone, he felt his time of departure was at hand. <clears throat> so that we won't have time to get into. But anyway, I thought it was interesting all that this one prophet accomplished. Wow. So think of what all we can accomplish. Now, it's time the bell is rung. But there is something I'm going to have Gary read. It was rattling around in my head and I couldn't find it. And thanks to our Google engine. And dear Jacob, who wrote something on a forum years ago, <laughs> it came up and it's about staying in the father's house and it's in the blue book. In the blue book. <clears throat> Under miscellaneous statements attributed to Mrs. Eddy, we each dwell in our own world of consciousness. We look out through the windows of this consciousness and behold the passing procession of mortal mind. Day after day, we have been lured forth, have been pressed into the world, lost our individual peace and poise in divine mind, and found ourselves dragged through the uncleanness, the pain of the procession. We seek to regain our own home of consciousness, wiser for the experience, thinking we will not again become part of error's pageant. 
But here, let the newer understanding of love guard well your door. Stay in your own home of demonstration. Keep your peace. For idle curiosity, criticism, or even false sympathy may lure you forth. Wherein lies the wisdom of the serpent? To hide itself. Therefore, hide yourself in the understanding of Christian science, be it great or small. When man begins to see himself as the reflection of God, mind, and recognizes that he has within himself the capacity to act as possessing all power from him in whom we live, move, and have our being, he has reached the highest of all endowments and fruitful of all good works. He who is obedient to truth has immense power for service. The truth frees him from ignorance of his capacities and privileges. It fortifies and sustains him under all circumstances. It is here and now. Pentecostal power is always present. It is the power of mind, enabling man to do the will of wisdom. For God's biddings are always enabling. It is the power to think, to act, to speak so that life will be fruitful and joyous. It is the capacity of every man possesses, it is the capacity every man possesses to act in harmony with divine power. And this is to preserve a scientific sense of being. Nothing is truth but the absolute. We do not know anything. Mind is the only source of power. Thought is the only force. Therefore, those who have turned to the fountainhead of being for the solution of any problem have brought such titanic force into intelligent activity that the results may seem incredible. Mary Baker Eddy. <laughs> Page 216 of the Blue Book, 216 to 217. So, so. Stay in the Father's house. And uh, much love to you all, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.